And that's her mother sitting beside her, as proud as punch. <laughs> but they did come through very difficult days, really, really difficult days, but the Lord was with them and brought them right through. All right, I want to just, uh, just share a little bit tonight briefly about Christ. And uh, can't do any better than share about Jesus, sure you can't. And so I want to have a look at just two verses in First Peter. First Peter 1 and 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2 and the first part of verse 7 says, Therefore, to you who believe, He is precious. To you who believe, He is precious. And then Peter also said... First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. How do we qualify, how do we quantify the word Precious. We say that gold is precious because of its value. We say that gemstones are precious because of their loveliness. We say that a child is precious because it is beloved of its parents. We say that our eyesight is precious because without it, and if we lost it, it would be irreparable. So many things are precious. But what about Christ? What can we say about the preciousness of Christ? How can we convey the preciousness of Christ? Unto you who believe He is precious. The precious blood of the Lamb without spot or blemish. And so I want to just share some thoughts on how we can declare Christ's preciousness. First of all, he is without imitation. He is without imitation. There are many, many fake goods flooding the market today. Go to Nuts Corner Market any Sunday, and second thoughts, don't do that. But if you did do that, you'll find that you can buy just about anything that's fake. Go onto the web, internet, and you can get anything that's fake, even medicine. You can actually buy fake medicine, would you believe? Why would anybody want to buy fake medicine? But they do. There are many fake religions in the world today. There are many false Christs. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 5, For many shall come in my name and shall deceive many. They will say, I am the Christ and shall deceive many. However, Try as they may, deceive as they will, yet they are a very poor substitute and a very poor alternative to the real thing. Christ is without truly imitation. Acts 4 and 12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is one God, Paul said to Timothy, and one mediator between God and man, just one, the man, Christ Jesus. And even Peter turned around to Christ and he says, when he said, will you also go in? He says, 
Where else can we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. And so Christ is literally without imitation. There is no one like him. But Christ is also without limitation. Hebrews 7.26 For we have such a high priest who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. And Hebrews 7, 22 and 25, by so much more Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant. Also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore he is able to save them to the uttermost who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Notice the terms that's used here. Made higher than the heavens. He continues forever. He's an unchangeable priesthood since he always lives. That speaks of being limitless. And of course, Isaiah said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Isaiah 59 and 1. There is no limit to his power. There is no limit to his grace. There is no limit to his mercy. There is no limit to his love. There is no limit to his forgiveness. We are the ones who limit him by our unbelief. We are the ones who limit him by our sin, by our wrong life choices. But there's no limit on his side. He is still interceding for us. He is still at the right hand of the Father. And he's no longer earthbound as he was in the days of his flesh upon the earth. He no longer feels tired and weary and hungry and thirsty because now all of that is gone forever because right now he lives in a glorified resurrection body. And we've seen that after the resurrection, how without limit he was, he was able to walk through walls. He could come into a room unannounced, just suddenly appear and suddenly disappear as quick as he appeared. Because he is without limit. And right now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Exalted, glorified, resurrected, limitless in time, limitless in eternity. And that's why you and I can come before him in prayer tonight. Knowing that his resources is unlimited. Knowing that he is himself is without limit. No wonder he tells us and bids us to come into his presence and ask that we may receive. John Newton said, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. I don't think my problem has ever been asking too much. I think I've asked too little. And I suspect you're the same. And if we only realize, and if I fully realize, and you fully realize the unlimited resources that Christ has got at his disposable disposal for us and perhaps we would ask bigger than we do Christ is without approximation nothing or no one comes even close to him remember what we said this morning when those officers come back they're supposed to arrest Jesus and they come back to the hierarchy 
And they said, never man spoke like this man. They'd never heard anything like it in their life. Even the disciples on that boat in the midst of the storm, when Jesus got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, they said, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? What kind of man is this? He's without approximation. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. No one like him. Even the centurion at the cross said, truly this man was the Son of God. There has been no religious leader in the annals of history quite like Jesus. No one was born like him. No one lived like him. No one died like him. And no one rose again like him. Some very famous people had some wonderful views about Christ. Let me just read a couple out to you. One of the early church fathers, he said, I do not think of Christ as God alone or man alone, but both together. For I know that he was hungry, and I know that he with five loaves fed 5,000. I know that he was thirsty, and I know that he turned water into wine. I know that he was carried in a ship, but I also know that he walked on the sea. I know that he died. I know that he raised the dead. I know that he was set before Pilate. And I know now that he sits with the Father on his throne. I know that he was worshipped by angels. I know that he was stoned by Jews. And truly some of these I ascribe to the human and others to the divine nature. For by this reason he is said to have been both God and man. Augustine said, He is by whom all things were made, and who has made of all things, made one of all things, who is the revealer of the Father, the creator of the mother, the Son of God by the Father without a mother, the Son of man, man by the mother without a father, the Word who is God before all time, and the Word made flesh at a fitting time, the maker of the Son made under the Son, ordering all the ages from the bosom of the Father, hallowing a day of today from the womb of the mother, remaining in the former, coming forth from the latter, author of the heaven and the earth, sprung up under heaven out of the earth, unutterably wise in his wisdom, a babe without utterance, filling the world, lying in a manger. Philip Brooks, that great American preacher in the 1800s, who wrote... Many, many hymns and one of the most favorite carols that we sing. Here's what he wrote about him. He said, He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He walked in a carpenter's shop, worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. And for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. By the way, this morning, whenever he stooped down and wrote in the ground, I should have told you this morning, that was the only time it's ever been recorded that Jesus wrote anything. Isn't that amazing? And all that time, he's ministry. And so he said he never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He never went to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never, never did any of those things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. And his friends ran away. 
He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. When he was dead, he was laid in a bored grave by the pity of, through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone. Well, 21 centuries has come and gone now. And today he is the central figure of the human race, the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever sailed and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not a fact that the life of man on earth as much as this one solitary life. Hmm. There's just so many of these. I can't read them all, but let me just quickly end this with this. An unknown author wrote this. He said, Buddha never claimed to be God. Moses never claimed to be Jehovah. Muhammad never claimed to be Allah. Yet Jesus Christ claimed to be the true and living God. Buddha simply said, I am a teacher in search of the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Confucius said, I never claimed to be holy. Jesus said, who convicts me of sin? Muhammad said, unless God throws his cloak of mercy over me, I have no hope. Jesus said, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. He has no approximation. No one comes close to Jesus. Even Napoleon, that great old warrior, he said, you speak of Caesar, Alexander, of their conquests, of the enthusiasm they enkindled in the hearts of their soldiers. But can you conceive of a dead man making conquests with an army faithful and entirely devoted to his memory? My army has forgotten me while living. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, myself have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. I have so inspired multitudes that they would die for me. But after all, my presence was necessary. The lighting of my eye, my voice, a word from me. Then the sacred fire was kindled in their hearts. But now that I am at St. Helena, that was where he was exiled, alone, chained upon this rock, who fights and wins empires for me? And what an abyss between my deep misery and the eternal reign of Christ who has proclaimed and loved and adored. His reign is extending over all the earth. So when I say tonight he is without approximation, you can see why I say that. He is precious, isn't he? But not only that, he is without imperfection. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. The thief on the cross said, we justly receive the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. <laughs> Pilate said, after trying him, he said, I find no fault in this man. Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with that just man. I've been troubled by a dream today. But he didn't listen, did he? And then this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Who can plumb the depths of this verse? He who knew no sin was made sin for us. He who knew no sin, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, absolute 
perfection became sin for us. Think how you and I feel when we are unjustly accused of something, whenever we are wrongfully blamed, whenever somebody points the finger and we know that's just not true. Think how we feel. Us who are apt to feel, us who are prone to sin, us who do get it wrong, how do we feel when somebody wrongly accuses us? It feels terrible, horrible, doesn't it? Can you begin to imagine how Jesus must have felt? The sinless, spotless, holy, undefiled Son of God. And they continually, continually persecuted him and blamed him and accused him. He who was utterly blameless. Can you imagine how he must have felt on that cross, sinless and spotless? And on those few hours, taking all of the sins of the world upon him. Never committed one sin. Never committed one wrong. And yet he took all of my sins and your sins and the sins of the whole world, and they were dumped upon him. Can you even begin to imagine? I don't think we could imagine how he must have felt at that time. And not only that, even when his father turned away, he couldn't even look upon him at that point. And even the very sun refused to shine. All of our imperfections, all of our faults, all of our feelings, all of our sins, all of our mistakes was laid upon the spotless Lamb of God. See, that's why in the Old Testament that the sacrificial lamb had to be without blemish, it says. Because it was a type of Christ who was to come who would be without blemish, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Baptist said. So the lamb slain in the Old Testament, it had to be examined. And if there was one flaw, it was discarded. It had to be without blemish before the high priest could kill that lamb and take its blood into the holiest place. This is why Peter says, For you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. No imperfection whatsoever in his life. And yet, the perfect one took our sins upon him, suffered and bled, and he died. No wonder the writer of Song of Solomon said that he was altogether lovely. <laughs> it's a lovely phrase, that, isn't it? Altogether lovely. Some men are lovely, but there's not one man who's altogether lovely. Sure there isn't. Altogether lovely. Altogether lovely in his ways. Just and true are your ways, Revelation 15, 3. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. Romans 12 and 2, the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. 
Some men's ways are lovely, but they're never altogether lovely. Sure they're not. Because we're selfish. Sometimes we have wrong motives, carnal desires. But as for the Lord, the Bible says, His ways are perfect. His words were lovely. It says they wondered at the gracious words that proceeded forth from his lips. They wondered at the gracious words. Some men's words are lovely, but not altogether lovely. No matter how nice we speak, no matter how gracious we seem, but sometimes that old carnal nature slips out, doesn't it? We say angry words, or bitter words, or gossiping words, or backstabbing words, or idle words, because we're not altogether lovely even in our words. But never man spoke like this man. Jesus said words like, your sins are forgiven you. Peace, be still. All things are possible to him that believes. No wonder the people, when they heard these words, said these were gracious words. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. Hmm. The preciousness of Christ. Let me finish by reading this. To the artist, he is the altogether lovely one. Song of Solomon 5.15 To the architect, he is the chief cornerstone. 1 Peter 2.6 To the astronomer, he is the son of righteousness. Malachi 4.2 To the baker, he is the bread of life. John 6.35 To the banker, he is the hidden treasure. Matthew 13, 44. To the builder, he is the sure foundation. Isaiah 28, 16. To the carpenter, he is the door. John 10, 7. To the doctor, he is the great physician. Jeremiah 8, 22. To the educator, he is the great teacher. Baggy. Baggy, by the way, has just got all her exams and passed all of her Things now she's a fully qualified teacher. Are you not? Are you not? I've been bragging about you all over the place. What? You've got in. Right. And so how long have you to do that for? You're fully qualified. A year. Ah, you'll breeze through that. That's nothing. Maybe that was prophetic. What I was saying. If it is, I'll, I'll take the credit for it. She's got the smarts that one. She'll just, she'll just pass that easy. To the engineer, he is a new and living way, Hebrews 10, 20. To the farmer, any farmers in the house? He is the sower and the lord of the harvest, Luke 10, 2. Kingsley. To the florist, he is the rose of Sharon, Song of Solomon 2, 1. To the geologist, he is the rock of ages, 1 Corinthians 10, 4. To the horticulturist, 
He is the true vine, John 15 and 1. To the judge, he is the only righteous judge of man, 2 Timothy 4.8. To the juror, he is the faithful and true witness, Revelation 3.14. To the jeweler, the pearl of great price, Matthew 13.46. To the lawyer, he is counselor, lawgiver, and true advocate, Isaiah 9 and 6. To the newspaper man, he is the tidings of great joy, Luke 2.10. To the occultist, that's the person who checks your eyes, he is the light of the eyes, Proverbs 29.13. To the philanthropist, he is the unspeakable gift, 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, Paul says. To the philosopher, he is the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1.24. To the preacher, he is the word of God, Revelation 19.13. To the sculptor, he is the living stone, 1 Peter 2.4. To the servant, he is the good master, Matthew 23.8 and 10. To the student, he is the incarnate truth, 1 John 5.6. To the theologian, he is the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12.2, just two more. To the toiler, he is the giver of rest, Matthew 11.28. To the sinner, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1.29. To the Christian, he is the Son of the living God, the Savior, the Redeemer, and the living Lord. Isn't he precious tonight, isn't he? Isn't it lovely tonight that we know him, that he knows us, that we serve him, that we've followed him for all these years like Sarah from the very first day she was born, the hand of God was on her life. 25 years old, an old married woman now, and there she is, the hand of God is still on her life. It's a great thing to be a Christian, isn't it? I mean, what, what would you do if you weren't a believer today? I mean, what would life be like? You look out into this world and all the news and the stuff that's going on in the Middle East, you look at that there and you think, what would, you, what would life be like if you didn't believe in this word? And we hadn't read the end of the book and know the end of the story, eh? I mean, your heart will feel. In fact, the Bible says men's heart will feel them for fear of the things that's going to come on upon this world in the end times. Their heart will feel them for fear. Thank God for a heart of peace that Christ has given us, amen? Come on, stand with us. Lord, we bless you that you have given all of us a testimony of your grace and goodness, and we thank you for Sarah's tonight. And we bless you that you are the precious one, that you are the holy, perfect Son of God. And Lord, we who were mere mortals and sinners lost, and yet, Lord, in your mercy and in your great love for each of us, you came to this earth and you lived and you died for us. And we bless you for that. And we thank you that right now you sit at the right hand of the Father where you ever live to make intercession for us. And we thank you for that tonight also. So bless us, Lord, as we leave this house this evening. Take us into our various homes and workplaces and schools and colleges tomorrow. We pray, Lord, that your blessing will be upon us. And Lord, that that testimony of our lives will shine and that men and women will see the light of God in our lives. And Lord, that they'll be drawn, Lord, to something about us. Lord, it speaks of Christ, that we may have opportunity to speak into their situations in the name of Jesus. So bless us, Lord, as we part tonight. And we thank you for your grace and your goodness in Christ's name. And everybody said... Amen. Praise the Lord.